Welcome back to NFL Junkie, the official NFL podcast of USA Today Sports. I'm Chris D'Amico, the NFL editor at USA Today, and I'm joined once again by Tom Pelissero, national NFL writer at USA Today. We are through the regular season. We have our playoff teams, which we will touch on in a minute. But at first, as always, we've had some coaching firings. Tom, surprised by any of the firing so far that we've had? Not particularly. I think that the one, if anything, that may have caught some people off guard was with the 49ers, but there have been rumblings going on about changes there for several weeks. They had been doing homework, uh, talking to different people about possibilities in terms of who they might bring in. When teams start doing that, you do get the sense that they're seriously contemplating changes. I do think that structurally, and when you look at them from an organizational perspective right now, firing coaches three years in a row just doesn't happen. It's been a long, long time since you've seen multiple one-and-done coaches in a row uh, for an NFL team. Uh, but they came to a, a realization, and the more that Jed York talked on Monday about the decision, the more you realized – these were guys who were working well together. Trent Balky and Chip Kelly were not on the same page. Balky had been through a bunch of head coaches uh, at that point. They want to try to get a coach and general manager who are on the same page. And as much as the 49ers have been getting ripped over the past couple of days, Chris, I, I can't argue with it. I mean, I always, and I've said this many times on this podcast and elsewhere, I will always advocate for full cleanouts. Get two guys who are on the same page, in lockstep, mutually responsible for each other's fate, because otherwise you end up with what the 49ers have had, which is this jagged sort of transition where one person is perpetually blaming the other person, and you go back and forth. It's just, it's not good for business. You never, I don't think, uh, really get to a point of philosophical alignment. I think that when you look at some of the strongest franchises in the league, they are generally ones whose coach and general manager arrived around the same time, and they're always going to be ones where those two guys are on the same page. I'm a big stickler, and I don't know if you agree, and, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, if you're going to – you might as well get rid of everyone and start over. You hire the general manager first, then the coach. Does the order matter to you? I've always – it does to me. I always think you have to hire the general manager first or you're – you're asking for trouble. Well, I think that there, there are different ways that can work. I mean, you look within the NFC West, the, the top team that the 49ers are looking at is the Seattle Seahawks. What did they do? They hired Pete Carroll, and then Pete was in the process of hiring John Schneider. Now, those two are very unique individuals. They're a couple of, of pretty special guys, uh, Carroll and Schneider. So you need to... You know, at minimum, you need to know what the ground rules are. You need to know who reports to who. I mean, look at Buffalo right now when you have the head coach and the general manager both reporting directly to ownership, and then the GM sits up there and for some reason sits up there for like 40 <laughs> minutes, and everybody just keeps letting it go, uh, talking about how he has no idea and isn't privy to the conversation that led to Rex Ryan's firing. I mean, that was bizarre for a bunch of different reasons, but the base part of it is when you have a general manager and an owner, or excuse me, a general manager and a coach, Coach who both report directly to the owner, uh, sometimes that may not foster the greatest of communication. I, I think it's, it's a people business more than anything else. There are different structures that can work within the league, but if you don't find two guys who are philosophically aligned, you are in trouble. One more question about the coaches, and then we will move on to the playoffs. I'm going to assume that this would be it for Chip Kelly in the NFL? 
Uh, well, feeling? as a head coach, I don't see him getting another opportunity anytime soon. Could somebody potentially bring him in as an offensive coordinator? I, I wouldn't entirely rule that out, although I don't know that Chip, from a you know offensive structure standpoint, necessarily helped himself a whole lot in the past couple of years either. You know, I still think that he's a really sharp guy. I mean, anybody who people like Bill Belichick want around to pick his brain, they're, they're doing something right. But Chip needs to somehow evolve within his career. He needs to work better with others. I'm not even blaming him for what happened in San Francisco. But when you have everything that happened in Philadelphia, then you go to San Francisco and it's the same thing, which was relationships in the building were bad. That doesn't really reflect well uh, upon the coach who's involved with that. So then if you're a head coach, are you wondering, can I have Chip Kelly as my offensive coordinator and it's not going to – cause any issues i'll say this teams like the jets and the bears uh who right now don't have quarterbacks and are trying to figure out you know what are we going to do bringing in chip kelly i don't think would hurt but you also know what chip's offensive background is he wants to run a certain type of offense he wants to be able to uh run the football a ton play really up tempo if you're not comfortable with that, you know, if you're Todd Bowles or John Fox and you're a defensive-minded head coach, do you want to play a style where your defense, even if things are going well, might be on the field for 90 snaps? You have to take all that into account. Chip Chip is who he is. I, I don't know that he is going to change a whole lot. And you go, Chip, we're going to bring you in, but we want you to run West Coast offense. I, I don't think that's going to happen. Be interesting to watch. I, I kind of think he'll go back to college where – he was very successful. Um, all right, on to the playoffs, wild card weekend, and we start off with a beauty with the Raiders and the Texans, and I believe that you or I might be playing quarterback for either team. Um, both quarterback situations are up in the air right now. We are taping this on Tuesday morning. I believe Bill O'Brien is going to announce his starter this afternoon, he said. It seems that it's going to be Osweiler. Um, Jesus, I, I don't even know where to start with this game. Let's start with the You're Raiders. Let's that's, let's that's start with the. I'm trying to get excited about this game. I love the playoffs. I love the next two weekends. Four I games. Like, I, I agree. Wild card weekend. A lot of people say divisional playoff weekend. I think wild card weekend is the best weekend that you get, just because you know anything can happen. Right. We've seen some really wild games over the years. You know, I think back to the the beast mode. Uh, rumbling game, you know, years back. I think of that wild one with the, uh, the what was it, the Colts where they rallied back from down like 30 points well, against the, the Chiefs, Chiefs or whatever it was. Yep, yep. I think they're just, it, there's such an unknown to it. But I also feel like the first game of Wild Card Weekend every year, and I'd have to, somebody could do historical research and find out I'm wrong, but I feel like the starting point for the schedule makers is, all right, are the Texans or Bengals playing? Yeah, let's just stick them in that first game on Saturday <laughs> afternoon. While everybody's out and uh, you know doing post Christmas shopping, you know just get just get that one out of the way. Right. We really don't want anybody to see this. And, and you know if, if the Raiders, frankly, if the Raiders didn't lose Derek Carr, they're not playing in this game. The right. Chiefs are in the wild card round. The Raiders are winning the division, moving on um, to the next round of the playoffs. It's it's two teams that are in a really at a really strange point here. You have speculation, and this goes back you know a couple of years. Bill O'Brien trying to potentially get out of Houston, go someplace else within the NFL. You know, he's stuck in a little bit of quarterback purgatory down there. Brock Osweiler, the $37 million man, can earn some of that money if he can play competent football for them uh, come Saturday. And you're going against an Oakland Raiders team that, 
you know, without Derek Carr, I, I believed going into last week's game, and I still believe it. They are talented enough that they can survive. They can compete without Derek Carr, but they cannot compete with Matt McGloin not stepping into throws and throwing the ball five yards over people's head over and over and over again. I think they're better off, and they are a scarier team with Connor Cook than Matt McGloin, just because Cook, for all the reasons that he dropped to the fourth round of the draft, a lack of talent was not one of them. Connor Cook's a pretty talented passer. Uh, there were people that I talked to going into the draft process last year who thought Cook could end up being the best quarterback out of this class. At the same time, he has not uh, played. He has not, you know, started an NFL game. It's been a, it's been a very long time. Another unique thing in this playoffs. When's the last time that a rookie quarterback made his first NFL start in the playoffs? playoffs. I mean, that that virtually never happened. So. Can, can the Raiders, you know, find a, figure out a game plan to be able to move forward here? Their defense has to be a lot better than it was last week. Offensively, they're going to have to, you know, commit to a game plan that gets the ball out of his hand quickly. That does not get the, you know, put the entire game on Cook's shoulders. And you heard Jack Del Rio making references to it uh, during his press conference on Monday, saying, you know, Latavius Murray had five carries in that game last week. How does that happen? That's on Bill Musgrave. You know, that's I'm not going to sit here and say it's a shot at Musgrave, but it's certainly a reminder that we need to utilize our weapons. But when you fall into whatever it was, a 14 nothing hole out of the gate, you're probably going to go into a little bit more of a passing mode. I, I, I've covered Bill Musgrave. I, I know him a little bit. I, I've always respected him. He's a really smart guy really cerebral but the the one nit to pick with musgrave and i've told him this before we've had conversations about it is sometimes he can think a little bit too much about the scheme and not about the players when your head coach is saying latavius murray can't have five carries you're probably gonna have to respond to that and get the ball to latavius murray a little bit more yeah the problem i I mean for all houston's lack of offense ineptitude in on offense they have a pretty damn good defense still (laughs) and Make it tough for the silver and black. Oh, boy, especially a rookie uh, going in there. Romeo Cornell has not gotten enough uh, buzz in terms of being one of the assistant coach of the year candidates. I'm not going to cast my vote for him. I can tell you that. But he is certainly a top five type of a a choice you have to have on that list. I mean, think about this. You lost the best defensive player in the league, the best defensive player in the league over the past several years, J.J. Watt, early on in the season, and you still finished number one in yards allowed with an offense that's not exactly doing you a ton of favors either. Right. That's really impressive. I think Cornell's done a hell of a job. And you're right, a rookie quarterback coming in, I think that they are going to find ways to test Connor Cook. And again, the the starting point for the plan for Musgrave has to be how do I utilize my playmakers around him? This cannot be on Connor Cook's shoulders. We just got to get the ball to Amari Cooper and to Michael Crabtree and to Jalen Richard and to Latavius Murray. Get the ball out of his hands. Let those guys go to work. And I think that you know if they can do that, if they can let their playmakers make plays, um, they'll have a shot. All right. As we move into Saturday night, the interest level will go up a little bit. Uh, the interesting but faltering Detroit Lions going into Seattle and everyone wants to keep believing in Seattle especially <clears throat> you and I who had Seattle going to the Super Bowl <laughs> uh, things just don't seem right with the Seahawks another fight on the sidelines it's just I know the injuries have gotten them um, 
Losing Earl Thomas hurt. That, yeah, that definitely a lot, hurt. A lot. But I still, I just, I, ne- I don't buy the concept of playoff momentum. Certainly, you would like to be playing your best football uh, down the stretch of the season, but. I don't think that the way the Seahawks have played is a hindrance because they've been in the playoffs before. We know how talented that team is. We know how Pete Carroll has gotten them ready to play when the games really matter. Playing in a wild card game versus week 17, I think, are completely different. I mean, they did not look good against San Francisco offensively or defensively. Just kind of looked like on defense they went through the motions. Offensively, they were as disjointed uh, as they have been of late. But I think that they are a bad matchup for the Detroit Lions. I think that... The Lions going into Seattle, one of the loudest buildings in the league. I think that that's a real tough sort of a deal for them. Uh, and Matthew Stafford hasn't looked like himself down the stretch. Ever since he hurt the finger, he's just he's yep. missing a few throws to the ones that made the difference earlier on in the season. I think the Seahawks win that game going away. And then, oh, yeah, where do they go from there? Top two seeds in the NFC are Atlanta and Dallas. How many playoff games have players on those teams really been in? I'm not saying that experience is everything in the postseason. It comes down to talent, but the Seahawks are a talented team that has been in those sorts of situations. Uh, I still am not ruling them out. I'm not going to back off it, Chris. I didn't do it in midseason. I'm not going to do it now. My preseason pick was Seahawks over Patriots, and that's where I stand. There you go. Way to stay with those convictions. I mean, why not? What's why the not? What the hell? <laughs> Twenty times. Um, real fast. Who would you think? So Seattle wins and moves on. And I mean, we'll get to the other NFC game. Uh, both. Uh, you give them a better chance against the Cowboys than the Falcons. The Seahawks. Yeah. The following week, Would, uh, it, it, I think that they're I think that they're a challenging matchup for Dallas too. Atlanta, those two teams played. If you remember, that was that game was in Seattle back in I want to say around mid November right, right. that they played. Uh, Seahawks won, but it was a close game. It was a competitive game. Atlanta is controversial just, call at the end. Richard Sherman, I remember that. Atlanta, just in general, I mean, what they're doing on the offensive side of the ball is really impressive. Uh, Matt Ryan being an, an MVP candidate, one of the top candidates, uh, spreading the football around. Even when Julio Jones is, has been nicked up down the stretch, and even when Julio was taken away in some games, I think back to the Denver game early on, they've found ways to be productive. I mean, here's a great stat. The Falcons' point total this season matches the high point total that the greatest show on turf ever had in St. Louis. That's wow. That is, I mean, that, that'll blow your mind. I mean, that's yep. a, a top 10 point output in NFL history on, and, and their defense is not good by the way. So they've been in situations where they've had to score a little bit more, but they've done it. They've done it over and over and over again. Uh, I, I could not be more impressed by the job that Kyle Shanahan's done. I know I've been talking about that even going back to last season, but particularly this year, he was going to be one of the top head coaching candidates and not surprised at all. He's got four interviews lined up on the opening weekend. Right. One thing that helps Atlanta too, and we'll, we'll, we'll skip over Atlanta, but since we're talking about them is, I mean, they will either play both games in Atlanta or Dallas. So weather will not be a factor for the offense, which is good. They don't have to go to green Bay is what I, you know, which could yeah, I mean, slow my, my that big- offense down. My big question for Atlanta would be, in a, in a matchup with a team like Dallas, can they stop the run? Can they do anything? Because up front, Vic Beasley's played really well. He's progressed um, fantastically, leading the NFL in sacks, becoming a better all-around player and a smarter player. Um, but a team that's just got the brute force of Dallas with three all-pros, in my mind, on the offensive line with Ezekiel Elliott. Plus, don't forget, 
Uh, Falcons lost Trufant, their best corner. So then who's going to cover Des Bryant? Who is going to cover uh, Cole Beasley in the slot? There are so many uh, questions. Right. Uh, about that, that you know, you have to kind of evaluate the entire picture. I think Dallas is, it would be a tough matchup for them. All right, going on to this Sunday Wild Card Sunday, it starts off with the Dolphins semi limping into Pittsburgh again. We have quarterback questions there. Uh, it does seem though that Tannehill will not be able to come back. I guess I, Adam Gase said yesterday he will know more today, but he would have to be. 100% sure Tannehill could play. It seems that Moore will face the Steelers. And the Steelers, my Super Bowl pick at the beginning of the season, and I'll stick with them. I still think they can beat New England, but oh, they are so hot and cold. <laughs> yeah, but they played better. They played a lot better, really tracing back to the game they lost to Dallas where they were in that game. I think they exposed the Cowboys' defense in that game. Uh, lost it at the end in a you know final 45 seconds or whatever it was, and Dak Prescott drove them down the field. But they, they haven't lost the game since then. I think they've won six in a row to end the season. I think that from a matchup perspective, they're as tough as almost anybody just because they can spread the field around with Bell, with Antonio Brown. Eli Rogers has made some plays for them. Of course, Roethlisberger can extend plays and utilize those guys uh, even outside the structure of the offense. I think, yeah, I think the Steelers are a challenging team. Remember, they did lose to Miami uh, earlier on in the season, but that was also the game where Ben Roethlisberger hurt his knee in the second quarter, messed some time, came back in, was all kinds of banged up, um, and then ended up having surgery for a torn meniscus that following week. I think with Ben healthy, you know, I I certainly give the edge to the Steelers in this game. Uh, I think that it's going to be competitive because the Dolphins have found ways to make it competitive, um, you know, repeatedly throughout the course of the season. We'll see what ends up happening at the quarterback position. Matt Moore had a rough day in uh, week 17 there. But, you know, what Ryan Tannehill would even be able to do if he can get on the field a few weeks after uh, suffering a significant knee injury, you know, I I don't know. And then the game of the weekend, possibly. Going into it on paper anyway, uh, there's a reason it. well, the reason it's late Sunday is because it's two popular markets, the Giants and Green Bay, but should be the best game of the of the weekend. Anytime uh, you got the uh, the mentor-mentee sort of matchup in the playoffs, I think that's awesome, too. Yep, so you yep. got Ben McAdoo and Mike McCarthy. Packers won the first matchup this season. Um, and and this, is a, this is a really unique sort of a game because you've got a Packers team that has been driven by the offense during their search down the stretch. And you've got a Giants team that for all the games they've won – their offense basically relies on Odell Beckham Jr. to make one or two big plays because other than that, they cannot consistently move the football. Uh, the Giants have to keep this to a lower-scoring game. I think that they can match up fairly well with the Packers. You know, if, Assuming that Janoris Jenkins is able to play and be himself, uh, allowing him to cover Jordy Nelson, that's something that would help them. Uh, I think that up front, the Giants are awfully tough. Uh, you know, the Packers have been up and down in terms of being able to run the football. Mike McCarthy always wants to be balanced. I think that defense can do a better job against the Packers offense than a lot of teams have. But, you know, can can Odell take over that game? That That's probably the biggest X factor is can Odell Beckham Jr. take over that game, make it make more than his share of plays, uh, have a big day. Otherwise, I just don't know where the offense is going to come from for the Green Bay Pack or for the uh, New York Giants. And you know, on the other side of the football, even though the Giants can match up well, Aaron Rodgers is finding ways to make plays over and over again. I mean, I see this as one of those games where if the Packers are able to score twenty points, they're probably getting out of there with a win. 
I would agree. I go, Eli has such a, and I get the Beckham, and, and, and I agree with you, you put the ball in his hands. I have a crazy theory <laughs> on, okay. e, on Eli's up and down season. I think we can, this has not been Eli Manning's best season by far. Do you think having a a superstar receiver like a Beckham puts too, that, puts too much pressure on a quarterback at times that he's looking. I get the feeling sometimes that Eli is looking for Beckham too much and it's affecting his game. Yeah, but here's the thing. When he wasn't looking for Beckham early in the season, the Giants were losing. I think that even though they've got uh, more people on the field who can make plays between Sterling Shepard and Victor Cruz, assuming that everybody makes it back from the boat in time for the game on Sunday, <laughs> um, I think that it's a mistake when Odell Beckham Jr. is not targeted 10, 12, 15 times a game just because their best opportunity to win a football game is Odell catching the ball and taking one to the house. That's where, you know, think about think back to the Dallas game when they beat him the second time. The Giants offense could do nothing, but Beckham got loose on one. Totally flipped the, the script of the game. I think that that's – no, I, I really don't. I mean, I understand what you're saying. You want, to, you want to be able to spread the football around, but you have, in my opinion, the best receiver in the NFL this season. Beckham has been the best receiver in the entire league, better than Antonio Brown, better than Julio Jones, better than Mike Evans, better than anybody else this year. I want to get that ball, the ball to that guy as much as possible. I don't care what defenses are doing to him. You know, you know, if they decide to triple team him, you're going to have better matchups elsewhere. That's just the fact of the matter. But, you know, double coverage does not scare me. Find a way, schematically, whatever it may be. Don't just chuck it up, get picked off, you know, I, I that, that's been an issue for Eli this year in terms of the turnovers. Uh, there have been times where him putting the football in the air has been their biggest liability. But you need to give Odell opportunities to make plays. If Odell walks out of Lambeau Field and hasn't gotten 10, you know, 10 opportunities, 10 targets in that game, I guarantee you the Giants have lost. Interesting. Uh, the weather is supposed to be cold, but not too bad in Green Bay. I mean, that's going to be the weather game, as always, in Green Bay. But that shouldn't affect too much, it seems. And the last time those two teams played, it was, what, like minus 50 up there. Uh, the Giants do have a history of going into Green Bay and winning playoff games. Uh, very interesting. Uh, really looking forward to that one. All right, that's Wild Card Weekend. All right, before we let you go, we're going to do a little flashback here. And we're going to we're going to talk Indianapolis Colts. At the beginning of the season, you publicly aired out our colleague Nate oh, Davis <laughs> for for picking the Colts to go six and ten. They went eight and eight. Public apology, what however you would like to address this. I believe well, they didn't go six and ten, did they? <laughs> they were closer to six and ten. I believe you had them at twelve and four. If it, I didn't. I don't make record predictions because no. I think they're stupid. Uh, although <laughs> Nate gets a ton of clicks, that's what matters, baby. Get those clicks. No, I. I mean, listen. They, they finished the game out in the the AFC South. I thought they would run away with the division. I still think that they should have. It is, and that is where you know, as people continue to speculate about what's going to happen in Indianapolis, I, I just you look at what they've got at quarterback. And they do have a couple of receivers. T.Y. Hilton led the league in receiving yards. Um, they do have a couple of playmakers, but the offensive line is so bad. The running game, Frank Gore, you know, is continues to be productive, but you know, he is he's not the same back that he was three, four years ago. Defensively, you have no difference makers. It is such an indictment that Ryan Grigson cannot put more talent around Andrew Luck. I'm not saying you're wasting Luck's career right now. But you are not taking advantage of the fact that you've got one of the best quarterbacks in the entire league. He, has he played up to the same level this year as Matt Ryan, Derek Carr, 
Tom Brady. No, he's he's not playing that high. But you have to take that contextually. If you're running for your life constantly because your offensive line, and Joe Philbin actually has done a very good job with them this year, but you just don't have that much talent there. And then defensively, you're so bad that you're always in situations where you're trying to put up a ton of points. You're in a drop-back passing game. That turns loose the pass rushers. It all fits together. Luck with average talent around him. Average talent around him would be a 12-4 and quarterback every year. I really believe that if you just were okay in terms of their personnel, they are average on the whole because they have Andrew Luck. But take away Luck, they are below average. I would put them in the bottom 10 in the league in terms of talent, uh, and I just don't think that that's a, a long-term solution. So I was wrong. The Colts did not. <laughs> I, I had two. We can go back and look at all my predictions. I whiffed on two things. Uh, that I recall. One being the Colts run away with the division. That did not happen. The division was as bad as it's always been, uh, and the Colts could not even escape it. That, that was a miscalculation there because things have just not changed personnel-wise. And the other one I whiffed on was I thought Chip Kelly could make the 49ers okay. I should have trusted what I saw when I saw them in a joint practice with the Denver Broncos uh, back in training camp. I walked out of there in Inglewood, Colorado, going, the 49ers are the worst team I've seen in camp. I should have stuck with that and not been talked out of it when I talked to, you know, I remember going someplace else right after that. And I talked to some scouts who said, no, you know, they've, they're really young, but you like some of their talent. And I came around going, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just, you know, Chip is going to get this thing in shape. They were going against the best defense in the league. I should have stuck with it. Sometimes the eyes don't lie. That was the worst team I saw in camp this year. And they ended up being one of the worst teams in the league. And then they won their opener against the Rams and everybody was on board with you that they were, uh, I think if we've, if we've learned one, thing it's don't trust a 49ers victory in a uh, nationally televised opener because right. nothing goes well after that <laughs> that's true uh all right uh, well thanks tom for stopping by again as always you can follow tom in usa today at usatoday.com coaching searches playoff coverage whatever it is tom tom's all over the nfl uh january is his time of year uh, we thank you for joining in, and we will catch you next week. Thanks.